What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I'm your host, David. For this jam-packed edition, I got my whole little Justice League together for this one. (laughs) (laughs) And I've combined both shows just for one day. I am bringing the entire team as we break down black cinema and talk about our recommendations and some performances we want to highlight. So joining me today is Ryan. What's happening? Leo. Yo. JC. Yo, yo. And Elliot. What's going on, everybody? Oh, man. What a, what a morning so far. We got a nice new trailer we're going to dis- discuss in a little bit and some black cinema to dissect. But before we get into that, let's get into some of the news of the week. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday last week. We got two little s- spots that I wanted to touch on to get your opinion. We got old and F9, Fast and the Furious 9. The fast Elec- nine, electric electric nine fast nine electric boogaloo whatever they're calling it now so the <laughs> f the f9 teaser it is what it is i'm not too big on the franchise anymore um the old teaser i did want to say like i can't wait for m night's next shitty twist because the movie does <laughs> it it looks pretty interesting but i just can't wait for the twist jc you actually called something so i'll, I'll start it off with you no, yeah, because, like, I have been following him since he announced it, and he has, and, like, I read a little bit, because based on some graphic, some French graphic novel, and, you know, with the title old, they said that it's something about, like, the, like, the, that the people, like, age or something when they get to, to the beach or the island, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I had a feeling, because, like, I had to know that Alex Wolf was in it, Eliza Scallon, you know, and I'm like, and remember, the teasers, all we really got was Guy, Guy, Guy Garcia Bernal, and, the chick from Phantom Thread and Two Little Kids, I'm like, you know, I'm like, the little kid looked like he could have been, like, a smaller version of Alex Wolf. So I kind of had that. And regarding the, you know, it's going to be a twist. There's no way this guy doesn't make a book with a twist. I just hope that it's not a shitty reason why, you know, like, oh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm pretty sure something happens with, like, the, with, like, the island. Like, it's, like, some possession or something. I just hope that the reasoning is not bad because the idea looks interesting and the, and the little 30-second clip looks very Probably the most interesting movie since Split. Oh, uh, what about the F nine? Any thoughts on that? Um, like you, is it is what it is at this point. Like, as long as I get myself entertained by it, like I'm not expecting no logic. Like you, you saw the clip where he's like the the car goes through mad different buildings, and I'm pretty sure that whoever's driving is not gonna have a single scratch somehow. And then just the fact that John Cena and, and Vin Diesel are brothers, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, what about you? What are your thoughts on those two trailers? Yeah, man. Uh, F9, I'm kind of indifferent with the franchise. Uh, I, I know 
so what I'll say about this, they know what they are. They know what they're doing at this exactly. point. Exactly. Uh, they play to their audience, and I have fun with them, man. Like, I legit, I have fun with, this is more of a spinoff, but Hobbs and Shaw, I'm, I'm excited for that franchise, Casino Grove, because I love The Rock and Jason Statham's uh, kind of chemistry they have, and Vanessa Kirby, more of her, the better. Uh, but in pertaining to this franchise, man, I'm going to check it out. I I literally, <laughs> it's almost, it's like Saw for me. It's like the yeah. reverse of Saw. Like, I've seen oh, all wow. the Saw films. I love all of them. It's a little bit different from Fast, uh, the Furious uh, franchise. But I'll give props to Fast Five when The Rock gets introduced, uh, Fast Seven, you know, the way that they, you know, had Paul Walker, they handled that situation with James Wan, I, I respect that. Charlie Steron's in the mix, you know, we got John Cena, you can't see him, he's it, you know, but uh, we'll see, man. Like I said, I, I can appreciate a franchise that knows what it is at this point, and they, they play to this audience, so kudos to them. As far as old... Just like JC, I, I'm an M Night fan. I'm loving this resurgence, this kind of reinvigoration of this, uh, this, you know, pronounced saving cinema when he came into, uh, into the mix. Uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Hancock, he got all the pressure on the shoulders and it broke him down. But, you know, coming with the visit, we got, you know, I love Split, man. And, uh, I, I'm a fan of Glass. It's not my favorite of the trilogy, but I like Glass. And then I don't know if you all watch Servant, but he's really doing some interesting things with that yeah. Apple Plus show. It's really creepy and, and weird and just great storytelling. What were you going to say, JC? I'm sorry. No, that's, I like it more than the other TV show he had on Fox, Wayward Pines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that yeah. show started off really good, but, like, by, like, halfway through the season one, I was just like, yeah. Yeah. This is becoming a nice product. Yeah. yeah and, that, and, and he, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So go ahead. No, I was actually going to agree with you. Like, I was on Glass. I love Split. On Glass, I was in for about an hour and, like, ten minutes. Yeah. And then they pulled off that... Um, that little twist with what happens to Bruce Willis's character, and I'm like, ah, oh, oh, yeah, man, I'm like, that completely took me out of it. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he has some. He, he swings for the fences in a yeah. certain extent, but as far as old goes, yeah, I'm kind of on the same fence with JC in regards to. I think this. It's it's all about the island, and we know that he plays. And you know, I, I hope it's not a. Oh my gosh, I hope it's not the happening situation with wind <laughs> or earth. And the water. Uh, just, yeah, the water. The <laughs> island has a heart, and it's like. The more you're on the island, the more it tears into your into reality. And I don't I don't know. We know it's gonna be a twist. I, I don't know if M Night's gonna. I guess he's just gonna always do that with every product he's on. But I just hope the film isn't relying on a twist and it kind of fits more into the narrative and it has that rewatchability factor. But I'm gonna check it out again. A great cast. I, I mentioned it. I, I'm on a high right now with M Night, and uh, hopefully, you know, he gives us something special and something that can blow us out of the water. And as they say in the trailer, it's only in theaters. So we'll see if we'll be old. <laughs> By the time it comes out, <laughs> uh, Leo, thoughts? Uh, yeah, with uh, with the with the Fast franchise, I think I'm I'm right online with all you guys. Uh, it's like a, it's like the ultimate popcorn flick franchise. Like it's it's just enjoyable. I'm not watching it to get like too too invested into like character arcs or anything. I'm looking at for fast cars and hot chicks. Going into uh, space. And space and rockets and uh and and I guess drivers that are now trained like military like, <laughs> black ops agents. <laughs> But, uh, but, uh, no, I, I enjoy them too. Um, I don't, I, I feel like it's one of those movies that I'm probably gonna wait till it's on TBS on a marathon to catch. Um, but as far as old, I, I think the question has to come upon when is M. Night gonna pull the ultimate twist and not have a twist in his movies? Cause like, I feel like if we're all going into it looking for it, that's kind of what loses the whole point of the movie then, cause now we're all looking for the twist. No, that's, but, uh, that's true. 
But, but yeah, no, I mean, with, with M. Night, um, um, I'm a fan of his stuff. Uh, I, the happening is the lowest of the low. So if this falls anywhere above that, I'm going to be cool with it. Nice. What about you, Rye? I miss both shows. I apologize. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. The Super Bowl wasn't that great this year anyway. Um, yeah, I hate blowouts. Yeah, same. Uh, I hate Tom Brady. So there you go. I know you hate Tom Brady. <laughs> um, so moving on, this is more. I, I don't know how you guys are with I Love Lucy, but this J.K. Simmons and Nina Arianda casting in Aaron Sorkin's being the Ricardos. Uh, I got to just want to touch on J.K. Simmons. I love the casting. I think they actually, as how I feel with the other two being cast as Lucy and Desi, uh, I actually think this is solid casting. I think the, these two could work well because of the uh, the real life beef between their two characters that they're playing and i think sorkin writing this is going to there's going to be some solid scenes i'm not sure how you guys are with i love lucy but uh i'll kick it off with ryan on this one because i know you do like i love lucy right yeah like and um i'm going in with an open mind leo what about you i love the casting it's funny when i when i when i heard about jk simmons immediately i'm like whoa that's actually that's that you know what that can actually really work um, I was more intrigued because I know you and Jenny hold this in like high mecca yeah. of the team. So I'm like, let me hear what Just you think. Bit. If you give it the blessing, then that's even like a better, a better um, reaction to it. But uh, as far as just straight up casting, I think it's pretty cool. Nice, JC. No, yeah, like remember, we're on the same boat. Like I'm not a fan of the Barden and Nicole Kidman casting, but I do think JK is going to be very good as Fred. Nice, and Elliot, what about you? Any thoughts on that? I was literally about to say, yeah, the Nicole Kidman and uh, Javier Bardem. If it was any other movie, I'm super stoked, but yep. I, I'm not sure what to expect from this. Again, a Sorkin script, you know, it's going to be on point, and J.K. Simmons is a legend. So definitely going to give it a chance and see what it's all about. But, yeah, Nicole Kidman in that role. Okay, Facts. we'll see. All right, cool. And then um, I think this is getting blown out of proportion, this next bit of news. The Wizard of Oz is getting remade again. Again. I think people don't realize that the 1939 is an actual remake, and I think throughout the years we've gotten different variations of The Wizard of Oz with the sequel Return to Oz. Then we got the James Franco uh, movie from a few Oz years ago, the Oz the Great and Powerful. So we've gotten this story told. I know Ryan, you seem very passionate about this, so I'll kick it <laughs> off. I'll kick it off with with you. I mean, you said it. That's a remake. We're making remakes of remakes at this point. It's <laughs> getting ridiculous. Like I said, like off the air, we have so many people out there that are making scripts that could be great. But no, let's just go back to the well over and over. Yes, there have been so many iterations. Exactly my point. There have been so many iterations. Like I just don't understand. And I've liked a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love Return to Oz. I even said to Leo off here, I love what they did on Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, like I do enjoy a lot of the iterations, but enough is enough already. You stop beating a dead horse. Um, and I, like, I love the story, but enough. What about you, Leo? Thoughts? Uh, well, it's, it's funny because I think my, my immediate reaction, because of the fact that it's a remake on a remake, um, I think I'm treating it kind of like what I'm treating like most of like the Marvel comic stuff or the DC comics adaptations, right? Like, if you're telling me this is an adaptation of the source material, I'm cool with it because who I, I've never read the source material. I don't know if there's been an uh, a version of this story told that is like either very authentic and very true, or if it's like this is like a completely like wild card on it. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. If you're telling me this is a remake of the movie, then I'm on side, I'm siding with Ryan, where it's like, there's no need for this. The movie's already like, it's the best it's gonna be. Let's not try to just reinvent the wheel. Um, it, but I think if it really comes down to what this is, this is an, it's a different adaptation on the source material. And at that point, I'm like, I'm leaving it up to the fans of the source material. If they think this is a good reason to make a movie, if they think that there's something missing from the original classic film, then I'm all for it. So before we get to JC, I actually had uh, <clears throat> this. I, I tried to stay away from clickbaity headlines, but I couldn't help myself. So when I actually posted this article, I posted Wizard of Oz remake from the director of Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I I was just curious of who would reach out to me and be like, yo, Zack Snyder's directing a Wizard of Oz remake. I, was just, oh, I just had to. Um, but it is actually being directed from one of the directors from the Watchmen series, which that should, yeah. be, that should be exciting. But JC, thoughts? Uh, real quick. No, it's, uh, so my bad. I was laughing because like the thing I put on my page is said by the Watchmen director. So somebody legit said, yo, Zack Snyder's doing it? I'm like, no, no, it's the Watchmen TV show. <laughs> so, like, that's why I chose it instead of choosing the, like, the woman that's going to do it because I'm like, I'm like, I didn't even know who she was. I had to check how many episodes she did of Watchmen and well, she's done. But I'm like, if, if you put, like, the headline, like, oh, by the Watchmen director, like, it's going to, like, it's going to get reaction. You're going to be like, hold on, let me read this whole thing that JC just wrote. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the same with, like, um Ryan and Leo. It's like, it's, you know, it's a remake of a remake, but you know, it's, it's based on a source material. It's not like The Wizard of Oz, which is this original movie that was an original script. You know, like, I, I'm okay with, like, you know, new adaptations of the source material. I think the issue with this movie is going to be because, remember, Return of Oz is a sequel, and then mm-hmm. Oz the Grand Power is a prequel. This is going to be, like, the first time that we're going to get a new version that's literally going to be almost a pretty much is going to have a lot of the same stuff we saw in, in the 1939 that we all love. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all I got here is just, like, this, like we've had a prequel, we had a sequel, but we've never had like basically remaking this. Yeah, uh, Elliot. Then, oh, go ahead, Ryan. If I'm not mistaken, I might be confusing with Alice in Wonderland. The source material is a lot darker. Yeah, I think I heard the same thing. Yeah. Well, it, it makes sense. Most most of these movies from the early 30s, like especially with Disney, it's all based mm-hmm. on like really dark material. Uh, but Elliot, any thoughts on the Wizard of Oz remake? Yeah, man. I think, you know, when it comes to the, the remake conversation and situation, I think, uh, you know, every decade is going to have its own version of some classic film. Yep. And it's going to be the continuation for the <laughs> the history of time. And it's just a matter of, you know, what's 2020 or whenever this film comes out, what's the lens, what's the what's the climate of uh, cinema? Who, you know, who's behind the lens is going to maybe bring another another perspective to the story. So. I'm always one of those people that's open to remakes um, in regards to, again, let's see this director's take. Again, I don't want a, uh, a psycho situation where it's like a shot-for-shot remake and just yes. you know, taking it straight from the uh, from the film. So hopefully they give us something new, something fresh, something unique. Uh, obviously, the big thing that's going to really sell me, uh, besides this Watchmen uh, director being attached, is who's going to be casting in these roles. Yeah. I think that's going to be a yeah. big thing, too. So, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Great. All right. And then a uh, few, few bits of news left uh i guess just more on the are you surprised this happened gina carano fired from the mandalorian i i think uh all that's left to be said here from amayan is disney gave her rope enough rope and she kept they kept giving her rope and she said fuck it and i'm not shocked she's gone it is what it is i mean we all have our political views and that's you know that being said but when you get like anti-semitic that's kind of what i'm like i'm on the out on that uh elliot thoughts on the removal 
Man, a lot of thoughts, man, to be honest with you. I'll say this. Uh, like you just said, they did give her, according to, who was it, uh, John Campia, uh, said that I guess they gave her three different shots to clean up her situation. And I guess she said she wasn't going to do it, which always surprised me about celebrities and PRs and not having people controlling their social media accounts to a certain extent. But, Hey man, it is what it is. This is a character that I liked in the show, but you know, they can recast her, have a new situation going on. Um, I think it's interesting that Disney kind of almost kind of did something different from what they did with James Gunn. They gave her, I guess, an opportunity versus just firing James Gunn and obviously rehiring him. So it's always a sticky situation when you're, uh, when actors and, uh, uh, directors get political and voice their opinions because we are, you know, it's a freedom of speech, but at the same time, you know, it comes with consequences. So it's an interesting situation, man. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, Leo, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much right, right with all you guys, they gave her a lot of slack. They gave her a lot of opportunities to kind of just to tone it down. It, it, it's tough, right? Because if you believe in something, you want to be able to express your platform based on the fact that you're you're famous. Uh, but at the same time, you also have to recognize, like, hey, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. Um, and yeah, she was given a lot of opportunities. Um, I'm a little, yeah, I guess I, I'm not surprised. Like Dave said, I'm not surprised that it happened. Eventually, like if you keep fighting the hand, the hand is going to be like, all right, that's yeah. it, it's over. And I, I'm not, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with her career after this. I know she has other projects, but I wonder what's, what's going to happen to her. Ryan thoughts. Don't fuck with the mouse, brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You messed up, and now you pay the price. Yeah, you don't. I know freedom of speech. I get that. I'm all for it. And I said it on a a comment. I'm not for someone getting fired over their views, but when you work for a company like Disney and stuff, you gotta expect that. And then, uh, next bit of news is exciting for me. I actually was very concerned because I'm such a big fan of The Last of Us. So the Bella Ramsey and Pe- uh, Pedro Pascal was, were cast as Ellie and Joel for the upcoming Last of Us HBO series. It's funny that they ended up on Bella Ramsey because when this news first started uh, popping up, probably maybe like five, six years ago, um, I had actually wanted Macy, Macy Williams from, the, from Game of Thrones to play Ellie because I thought that would have been perfect casting. Fast forward to now, we get Bella Ramsey, and she's such a badass on Game of Thrones. I think the casting is perfect. Pedro, I'm a little bit, I mean, I'm going to take it as a win because of how great the Bella casting was, and Pedro is a great actor. I'm very curious how that turns out, but overall, as a pair, I think it'll it'll start off, uh, it'll, it'll be really well to start off this series with two castings like this. Elliot, I'll kick it off with you. What are your thoughts on the casting? So just a disclaimer: The uh, Last of Us is my favorite game of all time. I'm, I'm referring Same here. to the original Same one. Here. Yeah, <laughs> it's Same like here. the only game I've ever double dipped on because I, I got it for the PS. Uh, they had like the original version, like I think it was PS3, and then like, like they remastered it for remastered the PS4. It. I bought the remastered. Like I, I love that game through and through. And like I said, I haven't played the sequel. I don't. I don't have a PS5, and I. Once I upgrade to a PS5, I'll probably uh, check out the sequel, which I know comes with its own bag of worms, but. In regards to the casting, man, like you said, I'm, the only thing I'm familiar with with the, with the young lady is, is Game of Thrones, and she was a badass. She went out like a you know a queen, uh, taking out the uh, you know the the White Walker, the the giant. And I'm really excited to see her explore this uh, role. And with it being a series versus a movie, we get to spend more time with her and, and really kind of 
grasp the character and really kind of picked up on the characteristics of Ellie. And then when it comes to Joel, man, geez, Pedro Pascal, I mean, life is good, but it can be better. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> to see him in the role, man. I'm a big fan of him as an actor, obviously with Mando and all the stuff he's been doing lately and uh, just killing it. So Joel's, it's a big role, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough character. We all know that played a video game, that opening sequence, man, oh, yeah. when it comes to <laughs> Joel's origins, origins and how he came across Ellie is going to be insane. So I'm excited. You know, they have the creators behind it, which always gets me excited. But also, I'm not going to lie. I mean, if this was on any other platform, like a, even like a Netflix or a, a, a AMC, I might have not have been as excited as I am with it being on HBO. So now that it's the HBO series, which I mean, literally, they are just like the, the cream of the crop when it comes to series. It's going to be a week to week series. It's going to be dark. It's going to be rated R. I can't wait, man. Yeah, I'm with you. I think with uh, with The Last of Us, I I'm an emotional wreck with movies. I'm not an emotional wreck with games. There are certain scenes in The Last of Us that brought a tear to my eye, especially with that opening that you were just talking about. I think what's going to be great about this is that you and I that have played the game are going to see folks watching this series and they're going to see these events that they probably have no expectations of happening and get a what the fuck type of reaction. And I fully expect certain aspects of this game to invoke those reactions. But for non-gamers over here, Ryan, thoughts on Last of Us casting? I mean, Pedro Pascal is awesome, and I've never played the game, so I really don't have much else to say. Leo, thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much same as uh, as Rye. I, I kudos to Pedro Pascal's agent, though, considering like he's already known as Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, like this is a really good opportunity for him to get another franchise and not get typecasted as just the Mandalorian. But. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Not a big gamer, but I'm looking. I, 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 everything I hear about the gamers that, that play it is pretty much right aligned with what you two are saying. They're yep. big, big fandom. And JC, thoughts? No, I'm just, no, like we've talked about this online. Like, I've never played the same like Leo. Like, Pedro Pascal agent is amazing because remember, this guy has done Game of Thrones, Narcos, The Mandalorian. Now there's like, dude, dude gets a lot of good TV work that's franchise that's going to keep him busy for a couple years. Like, I know you were hoping for, um, Sir Jamie, but you know, like, Pedro Pascal, I'm like, I, I mean, I'm excited for the casting just based on his talent. I have no connections to the character, so I can't really say that. Bella Ramsey, you know, it's great. Like, it continues her work in relationship with HBO with Game of Thrones, his dark material. So, you know, like, I'm happy for her. Like, you know, she's 17, which David and me didn't even know. We thought she was like 12 or 14 because David was saying that they might have had to recast for like the second season because he jumped like yeah. a five year so- time jump. So the second game, Elliot, because I know you haven't played it, it jumps five years. Yeah, no, I see. Yeah, I've seen. I, I remember seeing all the trailers, and I'm, I'm I kind of already know like how the game plays out. But yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's funny. Um, my original idea, like um, JC just mentioned, Elliot, I actually wanted Jamie Lannister to play Joel. Yeah, that, I, I thought that, that would have been that perfect casting. That yeah, I saw perfect. the the fan casting and the fan trailers and all that. Yeah, he looked like he would have been great too. So let's finish up the the news with uh, what Elliot, I was just on his channel talking about for a bit. The trailer to Zack Snyder's Justice League was released. So I'm actually going to kick it off with Ryan because you I thought <laughs> I was the one that was the most pessimistic about it. But you've been, you've you've definitely shown that you are. What are your thoughts on the trailer? Actually, I dug the trailer a lot. <laughs> Like if it was if I wasn't so scared, I would have been I would be all in. Um, like it was really well done, but 
the trailers for BVS were well done. Yeah. Um, the tra- so it, it's a trailer. <laughs> it's not the four hour. It's what was it? Thirty seconds of a four hour thing. Um, the Joker scene was awesome. The black suit looks good. Um, yeah, no, I'm, like I said, it looks good, but oh, dark side looks great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like I said, it's like what, 30 seconds of a four hour movie, and that's what makes me very pessimistic about it. Leo, what about you? Yeah, uh, I, I gotta say the trailer was really well done, and like Ryan said, it, it, it did feel like a fool me once kind of thing, cause I'm like, wait a minute, I remember being super like excited about the original movie too. Um, honestly, this just has me thinking so many, like, more, like, filmmaking questions that I guess maybe you guys can help me, like, go work through. Like, this is supposed to be, like, a whole different movie, right? When, when, I guess when Whedon took over for Snyder, like, I guess they changed the vibe of the film. They changed some of, like, the scenes of the film. I'm like, but this, like, based on the scenes that we saw today in the trailer, like, how much of the film did they change? Because, like, like, whatever movie this is, I would definitely want to see more than the movie we got. But then I'm like, how much more is there? Because I know we still haven't seen any Green Lantern. We still haven't seen anything from um, Martian Manhunter. So, like, even though we, we got a taste of it, there's still so much more we're, we're not even – we haven't seen yet. And so I'm, like, I'm just very I'm very interested in to see, like, how can you change a movie this much? I have a feeling. Sorry. Sorry. I have a feeling this is just one and two put together. Like, that's what I think. Yeah, and I, I kind of wanted to – something I forgot to mention when we were doing the live stream on Elliot's channel. I I think that the the cutting the, – the, the reshooting of this movie feels like oh, – I lost my train of thought when it comes – JC, go ahead. I will I will touch back. No, like similar to you guys, like the trailer – it was a really good trailer. Like, like I said, me and Elliot, I feel like – and Leo, I know we're like, we, we, for the most part, we do like a lot of stacks, not of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like to me is, I'm like I said, ever, like I've said many times in conversation with us, like he comes up very nice. So I'm just happy that he's getting to finally, you know, like yeah. I feel like every, any director should be able to finish their story, how they want to do it. So I'm just really happy that he's going to do it. Like, but yeah, I'm not expecting something amazing. I know it's going to be definitely better than the theatrical cut. And like what we've always known about Stack Snyder is that whenever he does these extended cuts, they always have to be better. Because the Watchmen, not the Ultimate Cut, but the I believe the cut is like three hours and twenty six minutes. Like I think that's the best version of Watchmen. Is I mean I like the theatrical cut, but you know the the DVD, the ones that came on videos are way better than those. And then even though I just saw it last week, but the BVS Ultimate Edition is way better than the theatrical cut. Yeah, no, I agree. And we were talking, we're actually talking about it on the, on the live stream. I was comparing Snyder now to Ridley Scott. You know, Ridley Scott's director's cut seems to be better than his theatrical cut. Yeah, picks. Kingdom of Heaven, the, 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 like the director's cut is miles away better. Like so much plot holes that the movie had, they were able to fix it with that three hour cut. Yeah. And then Elliot, you kind of chimed on on your stream. Any quick thoughts on the, on the trailer? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a really good trailer. Um, you know, like Ryan said, I mean, it, it is a trailer. You know, we've seen, you know, great trailers and movies not turn out to be the good. You know, Michael Bay is definitely one of those directors uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. that has some incredible trailers, but the films are like completely different. Uh, but going to what Leo was saying, yeah, this is, this is a whole new film, uh, which gets me excited for just kind of seeing again, as we talked about on the stream, 
Zack Snyder is a very polarizing director. You know, he has a very different take on some of these characters. I think he's definitely more, and he said so much himself, that he definitely is more of a Batman fan than he is a Superman fan. So I'm definitely expecting to see some more Ben Affleck epicness going on in the film. But as far as this trailer goes, it looks excellent. As far as just grading the trailer for what it is, it, it gets you excited for, you know, March 18th. Uh, it looks dark. It looks grim. It's rated R. I mean, dark side and apocalypse and, and granny goodness and all that stuff. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, four hours of uh, a Zack Snyder epic film, as uh, JC said, all his uh, to me, all his director's cuts uh, are really good pieces of cinema in regards to just him. He shoots a lot. He shoots a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he has a he has a madman's mind in regards to like a, almost a graphic novelist where he just has so much that he wants to put on a page and he paints a perfect picture sometimes a beautiful image but sometimes the substance and the, the dialogue and all the, the storytelling sometimes isn't all there but i mean he has four hours to tell the story so uh <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting to get a, a a good ending a beginning and end to this chapter and as we talked about in the stream we'll see what happens with uh zach snyder and the Snyderverse after this uh this film comes out march 18 yeah i'm with you like something that i mentioned on the live stream that if there if there are some critiques on the trailer i'll throw the i I don't mind the dark, the darkness. I do mind like color palettes and <laughs> Themyscira came off to me like when Scar took over Pride Rock mm. in The Lion King. Nice. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, 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 that's the only critique I have on the trailer. It, that's, you know, it, Themyscira is so lively in Wonder, in mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. And I understand yeah. if it looks like that before, like after Darkseid and Steppenwolf take over, but, mm. It looks like we are just getting the in the trailer the introduction of Steppenwolf, you know, them taking over Themyscira. That's kind of the only critique I have. But Joker, we talked about the Joker in the live stream. Joker, 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 Joker. It's the long hair, man. I think the long oh, yeah. hair. That's how. That's how. You, that's the only. Wait, that scene was dope. Yeah, it was. Outside of Jack Nicholson, the only way you could be a good Joker is if you have long hair. I think that is that is the key. That is the key. <laughs> But yeah, I'm going to say we we live in a society where honor is a distant memory, memory, isn't it? Right, Batman. Yeah, I like, I like when he said Batman. That was no bigger than from him. It just Matt, sucks. It's, I mean, only, said, it's only a four minute scene, which is going to be it's it's sad that it's only a four minute scene. But um, but yeah, that wraps up the news for the week. Uh, wanted to touch on some of the stuff that I saw this week before we get into a discussion on Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I saw two of the most ridiculous movies I have seen in a while. And they are both great. So, <laughs> so the first one is Barb and Star go to Vista Lemar. So the movie is absolutely bonkers. It's ridiculous. It's a musical within a crime story within a just a. Yeah, I didn't even know about the crime. Oh story. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a there's like a giant crime being committed. While they oh, go man. to the yeah, it's 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 bonkers. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's over the top funny. Jamie Dormer is really really funny. There's a musical number that he has about seagulls that you guys <laughs> the will... of seagulls. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> I think you guys have a good time with it. I don't know. Have you guys seen it, uh, Ellie? Have you caught got a chance to see that yet, dude? So I pride myself on like keeping up with like it's a Netflix film, right? No, it's actually uh, oh, okay. VOD on uh, 
that's why dude, like I don't know what it was. I knew nothing about this film until I saw it on people's timelines on Friday. Like I, I had no clue this was a movie at all. So that's why I, I I haven't seen it to answer your question, but I mean everyone I know that has seen it has said it is so wacky and I've oh, seen yeah. like mostly good like word of mouth from it. So I'm gonna have to uh check it out of it. Yeah, it I wish more surprised with the crime aspect of it because uh when my wife and I started sitting down, we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> the fuck is going on are we watching the right movie <laughs> um but the trailer we saw the trailer early 20 wait late 2019 early 2020 so this is one of the mo- ones that were moved to 2021 and the trailer is just out there it's ri- it's ridiculous and the movie just takes it to 100 but the movie that does and i i think elliot you've seen it and i know jc yeah, has seen it. it so <laughs> i saw this movie called willie's wonderland <laughs> and um I love Nicolas Cage. This may be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, Nicolas Cage does not utter one word the entire movie. All he does is stare menacingly. He does have one. The... Ah. What is, what's the line, JC? He was like, ah, when he was playing the, the, the paintball machine, and I think he's like lost or something. Yes, yes, yes. So I that's, was like, really? That's all we're going to get? That's the only line that you guys get in the movie. All he does is stare and kick ass. It's basically like if you were stuck in Chuck E. Cheese and you just beat the shit out of animatronics. I don't know if I if I explained it uh, appropriately. Elliot, what were your thoughts on Willie's Wonderland? I think he's blown away. He's oh, blown away. He's blown <laughs> away. JC, thoughts on Willie's Wonderland? <laughs> no, like, you know, you guys know I love me some cage rage. Like, it is. I got exactly what I wanted. Like, I wasn't expecting a great movie or like a well-written movie. I just wanted to see, like I said, Nicholas Case and kick some animatronic ass. And like, these creatures have always looked, I mean, even though Chuck E. Cheese is supposed to be like, thing like that shit always creeps me out. So it's like, you know, like, it's like basically, it was like fantasies that like we always wanted to like, you know, like do these things. Like just when we were little kids, that like baby art toys come alive. So it was cool. And then surprisingly, I mean, you saw another, and I, and I explained to you yesterday, I'm like, it surprisingly has, a decent backstory about why things are happening. I wasn't expecting that. Oh yeah, gonna, yeah. You kind of you nailed be, that. Yeah, I thought it was just gonna be oh they they kill just because because you know with horror movies, some especially B level horror movies, they don't really waste time trying to explain something like that. Uh, Leo, are you excited now to watch? Uh, I mean, Dave, just saying animatronics and Nicolas Cage in the same sentence is uh is enough to capture me. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think maybe two episodes ago, I said that maybe you you, you missed your calling as far as like uh, trying to do advertising for films, because that right there is enough to capture like <laughs> the audience's attention. Uh, but no, no, I'm, I'm I'm definitely yeah. I think after hearing you guys talk about it, I want to watch this. You said it was on VOD. Uh yes, yeah, it's like on eighty nine minutes. Easy watch. Easy, easy watch. Uh, Elliot, thoughts yeah. on <laughs> Willie's Wonderland. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay, yeah, uh, it was, uh, Sarah Siren. She came and got me out of the stream for a second. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Siren is a character in the film that I absolutely loved and thought she was fantastic. And if we get some type of continuation of the story, I would love that. But, uh, it, it's a wild film, man. Oh, yeah. It is definitely bonkers. I watched it like at 11 o'clock at night on Thursday uh, before <laughs> WandaVision. And it was just like, yes, he doesn't utter one word. It's not on like the, like cult nature epicness of like Mandy of a, yeah. of a Nicholas Cage performance, but it still has his quirkiness. My only criticism 
we talked about it with Fast Nine. The film knows what it is. Like, it, oh it, yeah, it's a hundred percent playing up to the cheesiness and the coyness of just kind of a B list, C list, D list horror film. <laughs> but man, some of those, you know, supporting actors. Whenever, so this is my biggest thing with the film. Whenever Nick Cage isn't on screen, the film to me, I kind of checked out because yep. it was just like, oh my gosh, I do not like these characters at all. I don't know what film they're in. I mean, they they know, but it's just like I didn't know it was going to be that bad in regards to some of the supporting actors, but. It's very far in between when we don't get scenes with Nicolas Cage, so that's not a big criticism, but it's a wacky film. Animatronics, uh, Willie, and again, Syra, I think it's Siren, Sarah, Sarah the Siren, MVP for me in that film. Nice. All right, Leo, what have you seen this week? Uh, this week, actually, it's funny. I started binge-watching a show that I kind of was trying to stay away from, uh, but I decided to give it a shot. Uh, so I started binge-watching Big Bang Theory. Uh, I'm on season eight right now. Um, and it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'll be honest. It's, it's, I've, uh, I've actually really, I've dropped on board. I like a lot of the geek, uh, the geek nerd call outs, a lot of the things that I think I can, I can sympathize with and, uh, and I, I can relate to. Uh, Dave, Dave, there was an episode about them getting tickets for Comic Con. And at that, that episode, I'm just like, this is like real life. This is how it is <laughs> when Dave and I are like trying to refresh our laptops, trying to get tickets for Comic Con. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's taken up the majority of my time. Other than that, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Nice. Um, caught up on WandaVision, and then like literally maybe about an hour before the recording, I saw the Justice League Snyder Cut trailer. <laughs> nice. Uh, any any highlights for you, Ray? Um, I got King of Staten Island. How do you like that? Really, I enjoyed it. I really related to what's his name, the main character. I can't Pete remember Davidson. his name because I saw Pete, Davidson. Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Yeah. Um. Along with my WrestleMania rewatch, which you can hear us talk about on the main event roundtable podcast, cheap plug. Um, <laughs> MC, I did an MCU rewatch. I'm starting that. And yeah, and Juice and the Black Messiah and also Harriet. Nice. Uh, JC, any highlights you want to throw out there? No, just, um, that documentary that came on HBO last week, Fake Famous, about like the, where this journalist, he basically just got these three regular people and he was, trying to get him, like, Instagram famous, like, buying them followers. And it's just, you know, because, like, a lot of people tend to live this lifestyle and everything like that. We, you know, we tend sometimes people, oh, I want to have this life. And it shows just how fake these people are. Like, just, like, there was a scene where one of the guys, he rents a plane, literally, like, just half of a plane. He sits on it, and they were, like, putting, like, this fake circle with, like, a background of, like, of, like, on the sky. And he's just, like, just, like, basically, it's stuff we know that these influencers, they're very, they're very fake with it. Like, you know, you could take a picture, like, in a pool or rent a house and then make it believe like it's your house. So it's like, it's not, there's, it's not the greatest thing, but, uh, like, it's 82 minutes, like, very informative and just, like, seeing how they do all these things is just, like, it calls to how people always say, like, you know, like, these, like, basically, you know how we sometimes see how bots, like, in Rotten Tomatoes, like, it'll be, like, Oh, it's so horny. Who has something long? You know, it's just like really like, and it's just like crazy how you you buy these bots, and it's just like you could tell that people are just buying followers. It's yeah. very informative stuff. Um, before we get to Elliot, there's something that I forgot to mention. So I kind of went on a documentary binge, and <clears throat> since we're talking film in terms of we were we we're talking about just talking about the Snyder Cut. There's a documentary that I've never talked about on here that I kind of want to throw some love to, and Ryan knows it. It's called Batman and Bill. So, oh, yeah. so that documentary, I don't know, Elliot, if you have ever seen it as well. So this documentary is a look at 
the co-creator of Batman and how for almost 80 years he was not credited as the co-creator of Batman. So it talk his name's Bill Finger. So the documentary talks about why he was never put on the book, his journey through all the years, him basically dying with nothing, without family, without anything, and then finally um getting Warner Brothers in DC to put his name on the credits. So from now on, anytime you watch anything Batman, you now see created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, so yeah, wanted to throw that out there. Elliot, any highlights you want to throw out from this week that you saw? Um, yeah, besides Willie's uh, craziness, um, uh, uh, what did I watch? I guess for the for the sake of the season of love, it is Valentine's Day. <laughs> I did watch uh, <laughs> to all the boys before. Uh, I, I, it's a franchise that I'm a Netflixer, so I watch everything that Netflix has to offer for the most part. And I gotta say, I was pleasantly—not pleasantly surprised. I actually liked the, the first one, but wasn't a fan of the second one. The third one was, was a pretty nice YA film, but a really good underrated film that came out on Amazon uh, is *The Map of Tiny Perfect Things*. It is a really solid YA kind of love story, time travel, time loop film with uh, Catherine Newton, who's uh, becoming a big—I'm a big fan of her work lately. Uh, so that was pretty surprising. And then, uh, of course, you know, WandaVision and uh, rewatch Judas and the Black Messiah and also uh, the latest episode of Servants. So it was a pretty good weekend. Nice. All right. So let's get into WandaVision real quick. Just some quick thoughts. Um, I'll kick it off with saying that it was a very good episode. There are a few things that were progressing the story. If we don't get Reed Richards in the next few weeks, I may go crazy. <laughs> um, Leo actually po- uh, sent the gif off the line or a meme off the line that said this person sh- doesn't have to be in costume or say his name and we'll know who he is and that's John Krasinski <laughs> so I'm hoping that's where we end up but I I wouldn't say it's a f- I guess I would say compared to what we've gotten it felt more filler than the last two episodes but overall, still great stuff. I love that Kick-Ass reference that only people that have ever seen yes. Kick-Ass um, mm-hmm. understand. Uh, that was a dope reference. And then just seeing um, Wanda and Viz in their OG suits was nice little touch. Uh, Leo, thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, pretty. Uh, a lot of comic book, like Marvel Comics references with like the, the costumes. I thought that was a really, really clever way to write that into it. Um, cause I know that the, when the trailers came out, we, we had seen that we were going to get Vision and Wanda. Um, but like now seeing where the, where the show is and it's in its actual timeline, getting, um, getting Speed and Wiccan in their costumes, plus now you also have Quicksilver in his. I was like, it was, okay, it was cool. I, I definitely geeked out seeing it. Um, it felt a little, a little fillery, uh, but there's still, there's still some stuff that got dropped in this episode that we, I guess we still want to like, uh, peel back the onion. Um, and, and yeah, like I'm, I'm very intrigued with what happened with the, uh, the Agnes, uh, storyline and, and now honestly seeing how powerful Wanda can actually be, um, is something. And yeah, I, same with you. I think we, we need to get, it's gotta be read or it's gotta be worth it in the next like episode or two yeah because it's funny i think they keep you know we keep thinking mutant mutant mutants and i don't know ellie if you talked about it on your show but it feels like this could be a great way to just backdoor into ff without even us expecting it so it would be interesting to see what happens jc thoughts on the episode you know like same as you guys like the kick as a parents i loved it because i even pointed it out to you i was like if you know that you know like i think ellie you even posted on your on your story like you posted a picture of like 
Aaron Taylor Johnson, Evan Peters, you know, who do you prefer as Quicksilver? Like, have you seen it? Like, like even when the when they both got cast, I thought it was dope that both of them were from kick ass. Like you guys, like I didn't think it was a filler, but like as the episode kept going, I'm like, yeah, it looks like a filler, but the ending was dope. And in my, I remember I was telling, um, I told Dave offline that I had read a comment with the thing, what happened with Vision. I'm like, Vision's literally about to have more on screen devs than Uncle Ben. Like I was about to say that. Yo, I was cracking up because I'm like, it's true. Like if he was to have died, that would have like his third on screen death. Yeah, pretty much. Like you guys, pretty much said it all. Elliot, quick thoughts. Yeah, no, it was uh, speaking of quick, uh, Quicksilver man, Evan Peters just fits perfectly in the MCU man, and I think he's uh, someone to keep an eye out for man. I I don't know if we can trust Quicksilver in regards to all the questions he was asking Wanda this week and kind of taking her side on on the the darkness that she's embracing. Uh, But in regards to just overall, yeah, I'm I'm excited for next week. I think uh, as this has been structured like a film, the first act. You know, we just ended the second act and now into the third act, which apparently it might be an hour per episode, yep. depending on uh, the remaining time that Kevin Feige said it'll be a six hour uh, type of experience. So I enjoyed it, man. Um, I love that it was a Malcolm in the Middle episode from the sitcom because that's a show <laughs> I actually really enjoyed and watched growing up. And I, I don't know, I might be stretching here, but it, uh, it's interesting that Malcolm in the Middle starred Brian Cranston and Brian Cranston at one point in time was being highly regarded to be the next Professor X which would be really interesting if that becomes to be true. And also to the Reed Richard comments and theories, we know that they're going to have an office potentially episode, and we know just... Yes, I thought the same. Oh, you, Elliot, you're the man. Meta, it would be so meta if Jim is brought into the, the hex, but he's also really Reed Richards in the MCU if they go that route, of course. And that's like the Luke Skywalker reference that Paul Bettany was referring to, yes. uh, besides it being uh, Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel. So. That's- that's we'll something, see, yeah. We'll no, see. I agree. That's something that came to mind, I don't know, like a few days ago. And I didn't even think twice about it. It just came to him like they still haven't done the Office episode. If we get Krasinski in that, oh, man. He's he, like, maybe he's like Dwight in the in the world. He's not Jim, but he's like Dwight <laughs> or Michael Scott or something. Or oh, someone and, crazy. And, and Wu is already on the show, too. So, so if he like, plays Jim, go, yes. Yes, yes. Go. That's actually that's that's great. Uh, I'm gonna need you guys to call Kevin Feige and just make sure that this happens. Um, I didn't even know that was gonna be an office episode. Yeah, yeah. They talked about it early on that they are gonna attribute the office. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, and then Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, oh, go ahead, Ryan. I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. I didn't feel any filler whatsoever. I was like enthralled the entire time between uh, Quicksilver's. Uh, interrogation, vision, getting very questiony, and trying to get through everything going on on the outside of the hex. Like I enjoyed everything, and this was the most uh, elaborate commercial with not a single oh, yeah. reference to anything. I don't think because I didn't see anything at least. I didn't hear anything that made me think, "Oh my God, this is." Oh, I so got some I theories think, about I that think commercial. I, yeah, I got some theories on the commercial too. Go ahead. Where, what are they? Uh, I'll, I'll defer to Elliot first. Uh, so my so it's, it's twofold for me. When I first saw it, I, I looked at the shark as like a manifestation of who the big bad is. Like he's eating the magic off of Wanda or potentially taking the magic from Wicked and Speed because it's a, it's an important that they want them to age pretty quickly. And, and as we know from last week's episode with Agnes, but on second and third and fourth viewing, if you look at where they placed the commercial, it took place after the scene that Vision saw the young lady like crying in tears, showing that she's in pain. And it shows a kid in the commercial, and it happens to be that last week 
Vision asks Wanda, where are all the kids? So the very next episode, we see a Halloween special with kids eating and feeding off of candy. And in that commercial, the little kid couldn't eat his food. And again, Wanda thinking that she's doing good by bringing the kids into the equation, feeding them candy, having them eat food. But she's ultimately killing these people in, in the inside and not, you know, doing her kind of villainous ways, which I think the ultimate villain of the show will be Wanda. But uh, the commercial, Your, Mag- Your Magic, Wanda is kind of showing as the big bad and she's uh, these people are dying in the inside because they're not being fed because they're just all a part of this uh, wonderful sitcom that Wanda's created. Leo, thoughts? Interesting. Oh, yeah. One last thing real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead, Um, One last thing uh, on the episode. Uh, who did you say, babe, that they're seeing that Quicksilver is? Mephesto, right? That there's rumblings that he's Mephesto. Yeah, so that's actually where, that, that's where I was going with the commercial, where um, you see the shark that's like technically feeding off of magic. Um, I, I can actually see the Mephesto uh, theory coming out a little bit more, where maybe it's like that's why the body looks differently than uh, than the Aaron Taylor Johnson Quicksilver. And that he's feeding off of Wanda's magic. So whatever is going on right now with Wanda has also, I guess the quote unquote end game to this is Mephesto's influence on her. Um, and then Mephesto is pretty much gearing her up or fattening her up, uh, so that he can take off and siphon off more of her, uh, of her magic. Um, and similarly with the, the kids growing up faster, I know in the comics, the big, the big storyline is that Mephesto needs a new body. And that that's where um, the um, Agatha, the, um, Agatha Harkness is prepping Scarlet Witch to raise the twins so that Mephesto can use those bodies. Um, but I, I definitely think that the shark there, and I think Elliot and I are both in agreement there, where it's like the shark is supposed to symbolize the big bad, whether it's Scarlet Witch or Mephesto, someone is feeding off of magic. Um, and, and ultimately, yeah, it's like sucking the life out of someone. Nice. Well, we got three episodes to go. So if they're an hour each, can't wait to see where this goes. So, and then Judas and the Black Messiah, we, uh, we're about to hop into a discussion on black cinema. And with Black History Month and this film coming out, I figured this would be the perfect time. I saw it on Monday and I was completely blown away. I think this film is a crime drama blended into a biopic. And it just really worked well for me because it wasn't a traditional by the books biopic. We got, um, both sides of the story. Plus, we were able, it, it reminded me a lot. I don't know if you guys would agree of the departed because oh, we got, shit. we got yeah. both, we got both sides of the plate. We got Fred Hampton's story, but we also got, we were taken to the world of the FBI and seeing what they were doing. Similar to how the departed, we were seeing yeah. with, you were seeing Leo and company, but then you were also taken to Martin, she- or ironically, Martin Sheen and, and, uh, <laughs> and the Boston police. So I do like that feeling of it. And the Daniel Kaluuya, I mean, come on, man. It's not fair how good he is. And Lakeith, Lakeith is incredible in it. And I think it's a much more difficult performance because, um, Fred Hampton, Danny Kaluuya, he's actually given a lot more to do in terms of he has a romantic interest. He is the showy performance. That shows how good Lakeith is that he has the more subdued role and he knocks it out of the park. But yeah, Kaluuya is, Kaluuya is, wow, electric. Uh, I'll kick it off with Elliot. Thoughts on Judas? Yeah, man, it's, you know, it's obviously pretty early in the year as far as saying best movie of the year, but I, I would be very surprised if it doesn't crack my top five. Of Same here. 20 by the end of this year. Uh, 
you, you said it all in regards to the performances, the story being told, uh, showing another side of, well, honestly, Fred Hampton doesn't get any shine in regards to the cinema goes, you know, it's very small roles and appearances we've seen in the past, but this time getting a little bit of, of shine on this, uh, on his 21 years on earth, man, how he was able to do so much with little limited time on, on this planet. But in regards to, you know, I, I can speak all day about the, the, the direction the cinematography, the score was incredible and just the pacing of the film. If I have any criticisms, again, and this isn't really a criticism, it's just kind of my expectations. I wish we would have gotten more of, of Fred Hampton's kind of story and it was in the lens of the perspective of Bill uh, O'Neill, which is an interesting perspective to put it in in regards to Lakeith maybe having not as much kind of um, stuff to kind of research the the, um, the actual person he was betraying. So I would have loved to have gotten more of Fred Hampton coming up in Maywood because I lived in Bellwood. So I, I'm very familiar with his life story, seeing him going, you know, wanting to play baseball for the Yankees, him going to, you know, growing up in, in, in the NCAACP and going up in the ranks, going up from the rankings of the Black Panthers. So I would have loved to get a little bit more of that backstory. Um, but besides that, man, this film was excellent. And the like the heartbreaking scene that I've seen in a while, that raid scene was executed perfectly. And it was just a, a tragedy to watch. JC, thoughts? No, I mean, Elliot said it perfectly. Like the raid scene was, because like you said, I've seen a lot of documentaries on it. I've like, I'm, I'm very familiar with Fred Hampton stuff. Similar to like Elliot said, it's like his back. Like I said, I wouldn't have mind the movie even being half an hour long just to get a little bit more about why he was important. Cause like, you know, we all know a little bit about Fred Hampton, so we know why he was important. But like, if somebody went into this movie, this was their introduction to him. They wouldn't. They there's no way to really know exactly why he was so important, why he made the impact. I know a little bit of of him like that, like pretty good. So that's why it didn't really bother me too much. But like for somebody who didn't know too much, if they, I've seen a lot of people call that one of the flaws, like oh, you know, we didn't get more backstory on. But like I tell people, it's like this is more like. William O'Neill's story, like, like, um, Fred Hampton's is more like a side character, but it's just important to the story because, because that's pretty much what this guy was known for as the guy that helped the FBI become Fred Hampton. And it's like, it got, since Darren Cruz is playing, we all know he's probably like 32 or 34. A lot of people don't tend to know that Fred Hampton was only 21 when he died. And it's just like crazy. Like, I'm 29 and this guy in his 21 years did more than I've ever did in my life. It's just crazy, like everything the world missed out on with in the, in the 51 years that he was dead. Like he was younger than when he, uh, um, and those, I thought I should have thought, but basically there's only, I can't even imagine all the stuff he would have accomplished in 50 years for, for like, for, um, you know, just everything. Cause the, the, like I said, um, in 1978, that chapter, this C6 says, and I know if he would have stayed alive, that probably that chapter would have been striving still, probably. Yeah, and then before we move on to to Leo, something I wanted to add was the the I've never been more affected by text after a movie than this one. <laughs> like it, yeah. it really oh, hit yeah. me. The text really hit me, especially the fact that Willie Munil killed himself after that documentary aired. I was like, wow, what what? So that really hit me. Leo, thoughts. Yeah, but just to, I mean, pretty much piggyback on what all you guys are saying. I don't know too much about Fred Hampton, so when I went into this, this definitely served like the, like the quick little teaser for me to want to learn more about his life and his, and his accomplishments. Like everything, everything that Elliot mentioned, I'm like, that sounds incredible. Like there's way more backstory here than the, than the film showed. Um, I love Lakeith's performance as Bill, uh, and you can feel how that can turn into regret and into suicide. Um, 
And the fact that they cut in little scenes of like the actual Bill O'Neill, so you see like this is actually pretty pretty on point. Like the like the performance as a biopic works as well. Um, I overall incredible performances. Um, Daniel Kaluuya just continues to to step up his game. Um, and yeah, no, overall a very really really good watch. I watched it last night, um, and immediately I was like, wow, why why isn't this getting more more hype? Because the performances were really that good. All right, Ryan, thoughts? I was blown away. Um, I went in expecting a great movie. I was not expecting to be as dragged in as I was, as invested as I was. It was my first time learning about every single character. Um, and I just like, we want to learn more now. Like that end scene had me like, no, no. Like it was just, I was, I, I can't remember, like probably since either Joker or Endgame, I haven't been that invested in a movie. And I will say this, um, it's very relevant to today because, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know if you guys have touched on it outside conversations, but, and kudos, I'll give credit, a hundred percent credit to my wife because she's the one that brought it to my attention. And I'm like, oh my God, it's true. So when they come into the house, the police just come into the house unwarranted yeah. and they kill Fred Hampton. Very imminent to what happened to Breonna Taylor. And just shows the relevance that we're still going, you know, that is still going on today. So the movie, like you said, Leo, I think it's not getting enough love. The Kaluuya is getting all these nominations. I'm surprised that the movie has not struck a chord yet with like with the, with the voting boards. Hopefully the Oscars can fix that because I do not trust BAFTA to, to fix that. Um, Yeah, so... Let's just get into the conversation on black cinema. I think this is a perfect time to touch on it. And I want to, before I start, I kind of want to give the mic to Leo because this was all Leo's idea. I will give credit to Leo for coming up with this. And we wanted to touch on it last year and we didn't. But Leo, what made you say, you know, this is something we should touch on? Yeah, honestly, cause, and, and appreciate the fact that, that, that you and Jenny and the team were like so, so willing to, to, to hear me out on this. It was, it was a, Honestly, it was just a, a result of the times. Um, the fact that we have a platform, right? We, we may not be world famous podcasters, but people do still listen to us. And it's a good opportunity for us to like open up our own minds and our, and our listeners' minds to like, to other type of films, right? And like, it's, it's just an opportunity for us to kind of push ourselves into other, other realms, not just Marvel movies for myself or DC animated movies or Kevin Smith movies, but like, just try to try to like put a focus on maybe black directors and and black actresses and actors, uh, black producers, just just to kind of like open up a little bit more. Um, and when I brought it up to Dave about like, hey, we should maybe do a, uh, an episode based on on just on on black performers, it kind of like took a life on its own where it's like, hey, let's just do like maybe five performances or five overall films. And the truth of the matter is that there shouldn't be a need for like a specific episode about black cinema, right? This should be a thing where that we just recognize talent for talent. Oh, uh, agree. But the truth agree. of the matter is, this is where we're at, right? And like, if it is that this is just the beginning to it, 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 that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to having like an awesome conversation with everyone on the episode, just to hear movies that I've never really heard about. And, and at the same time, like be able to focus on movies that like I grew up with that maybe not, like known as like the uh, the epitome of like amazing cinema, but there were just really cool performances and really cool films that can like 
help us each get a little bit more in, information about like uh, I guess a population that unfortunately doesn't get as much respect as it should. Yeah, no, I agree. I get, I think this is important because it opens up uh, cultural conversations that aren't happening. And I think it opens up like I, I feel like black artists have been creating remarkable and culturally significant work for such a long time for decades upon decades. And it's a shame that many don't don't have the opportunity to explore that. So I'm glad we're actually able to just provide a visibility to like these creators, these films, these performances. So commend you, Leo, for this idea. And I'm glad we could get everyone on board. But just in talks of your first experience with a film within the black cinema genre, JC, I'll kick it off with you and then pass it on to Elliot. Uh, well, my, I mean, even though I think, don't think I should have been watching it when I did, but I saw <laughs> Boys in the Hood. Totally. Nice. <laughs> no, yeah, because I have two older brothers. They're like seven and ten years older than me, so, you know, they, you know, they were watching certain stuff. And, you know, my mom wasn't a super strict mommy, so I was allowed to watch stuff with them. And, like, you know, like, I, I probably felt like I was eight, and that movie just, like, resonated so much to me. Like, to me, I still think it's the epitome of hood films. Like, there, without the success of Boys in the Hood, there is no menace society, there's no Jews, there's no dead presidents. And it's just, like, such an important film, like, especially, like, the fact that, remember, we all pretty much here love Boys in the Hood. And, yep. you no, know, like, as I got older and I got a bunch of Oscar stuff, just knowing that that movie wasn't even nominated for Oscars is amazing. It shows just, like, okay, this is not a typical Oscar movie, but it's such a damn well-made movie, an active movie that we're going to reward it. And John Singleton became not only the first black directors ever get nominated for an Oscar, but the youngest still, which is another great accomplishment. Like, there's been 30, Boys in the Hood makes 30 years this year, and that record is still still there. Still there. And it's like, Ricky's death is still one of the most emotional scenes I've ever seen. Like, I, I remember, like, watching as a little kid, and it seemed like, you know, because Ricky was the one that was supposed to get out, you know, like, yeah, he had a kid at a young age, but he was still going to go to, you know, college. He probably would have made it to the NFL if he, if he had stayed alive. You know, I don't want to say too much because I feel like maybe some other people might bring it and might have other thoughts, but with Boys in the Hood, it's just to me, just the epitome of hood films. And without that film success, we wouldn't have had other great hood films. Elliot, hang it, hang it over to you. Yeah, no, nah, man. Boys in the Hood is, is definitely a classic in my eyes. But in regards to, to the question regarding uh, first time being exposed to like black cinema, it was actually funny enough. Uh, more of a, a comedy kind of shaped my uh, love of like uh, comedies growing up. And that's uh, the, the year I was born, actually. I saw it a little bit later, but it was uh, a 1990s house party. Nice. Uh, oh, kid and play, man. That, that was just something I grew up on and, and the sequels and obviously seeing their careers after that and just seeing the influence they had. Within that, and also, you know, we'll talk a little bit about later, but there's also another comedy that came out in the early 90s that definitely influenced my uh, upbringing. But no, it was House Party. It was my first time being exposed to this, like, an all-black cast, the energy, the fun, the swagger, the, uh, you know, the charisma, the charm, the jokes, the relatability factor, but also crossing different barriers that it is, you know, showing homage and paying homage to young black men and women growing up in, in this environment, going to college in the party environment. But it's also, you know, it's universal. Again, it's the idea of having fun with your friends, your group of friends, like-minded people. So uh, House Party was my first time being exposed to, like, a, a, an all-black cast, black director, having that flavor. And, like I said, having that swagger that the film came with. But, uh, yeah, man, House Party was is something that always near and dear to me. Nice. What about oh, you, Leo? Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, yo. You ever did the, the kid and play, Elliot? The, the dance? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I tried to do that one. I felt so badly. I busted my ass. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Leo? What was your first exposure? Uh, so for me, it was another comedy as well. Uh, and I think with me growing up, like it was the main time I ever watched movies was like watching movies with my my dad. Right, my dad would go like to like Hollywood Video every weekend. He would like rent two two movies and we'd watch them as a family. So like as like Latino, like he didn't really always gravitate to like maybe like black movies. So I didn't get too much exposure to it. But like growing up in like a very urban city like Union City, like I think Dave can like attest the oh, fact yeah. that like we're not like there's a lot of urban in, in our in, in our upbringing. Right. But it's not exactly like the struggles of being like of being a, a man, a, a black man. Uh, but there was a point where my buddies like when I started getting influencing more of like watching movies that my buddies recommended. And um, it was don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Um, <laughs> Oh my god! It was just one of those like movies that you watch. I'm like, oh, this is hysterical. But again, it was so rare to see a full cast of like colored individuals or black men, black women on screen. And it was the Wayne's Brothers, so I definitely thought it was funny. It was one of those like, um, I think now in, in retrospect, like those those parody movies maybe didn't age so well. But back then, it was really cool to see this movie that was making like paying homage to so many other movies that were classics. And it kind of made me think, like, oh, what are they making references to, or what other movies are being? Because that title alone is like, wait, why is the like title four movies at once? Yeah, exactly. So it just uh, it was one of those cool moments where it's like, all right, like this is more of like the the being a minority part of the world, right? Not like the the popular being white or being like like the the mainstream thing. It was like, okay, I want to like watch more movies like this. And it was funny. It was just that cool that cool humor that you can only really understand when you're. When you're growing up somewhere urban. <laughs> what about you, Rai? What do you got? Um, the earliest I can think of was Head of State. I love that movie, honestly. <laughs> with Chris Rock with Chris Rock and everything. And you know what? Give it this. It came out five years before Obama. It, can't, it did pretty much cover the same political stuff. And it was very interesting. I love that movie. JC, was that his directorial debut? Chris Rock. Um, yes, yes, it, it, it was. He had written movies before, like CB4 and Pootie Tang, but this was the first time he went to the camera. <laughs> so, so for me, it was actually um, the Wood. Oh yes. You. So I, I love, love the Wood. There's a joke. I mean, uh, I told JC this joke, not even a joke, just a story off the line. So <laughs> I, uh, so I, I saw the Wood when I was about. 11 or 12 i loved it thought it was great and then i go i get to college and i'm 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 boys with a couple of the guys from the basketball team and we you know they bust my balls or whatever and then we're one day we're just sitting down and we just started talking about black cinema and they're like well what's the first what's the first you know black film you saw and i was like oh the wood like that's great such a great movie so that they began to bust my balls saying that, dude, the wood, you're super racist because the only white people like the wood. <laughs> <laughs> and they started joking. They're like, dude, you liking the wood is like a white guy saying Try Call Quest is the best rap album, rap group of all time. Only white people like Try Call Quest. And I'm like, no, yeah, man, like I'm very, that. I'm very offended because like Leo said, our area is very urban. So I really, you know, it's I'm the farthest thing from that. So like it was all busting balls, but yeah, the wood is actually my first experience. And then 
I don't give a shit what anyone said. That movie is not racist. That movie is fantastic. JC, help me out here, brother. I love the one. Like, like I said, that's why even when I when I when I reposted um Leo's thing, I put back in the day because like when I hear that yeah. song, it just reminds me of the wood. Like, I think it's a great coming of age story. Just like everything with when they were young, and it's yeah. also like you know a good story about brotherhood. And like I'm, I'd love to see them. I don't know how to say his name, but the director, he's been working a lot on, on the Mandalorian. So just like it's great to see, you know, the guy, the guy that made the wood, you know, black director getting a chance to direct stuff. Uh, some very great episode of, of the Mandalorian and just with the wood, it just, it's just like Mac and, and Hang. Like, I love that movie. Like when Dave told me he was a fan, I loved it because, you, know, you know, Dave, we know he's like the cinephile snob from us. I love you, Dave. <laughs> Thanks. But you know, like when he said he loved the wood, I was like, Really? Like I wasn't, I wouldn't have expected that at all. Yeah, right. You, you get like, oh shit, there's like, there's some, there's some thug in you. All right, I'm shut up. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's just jump into some recommendations. So I asked the guys to try to put together five recommendations. So I actually will kick it off and just run through my five through one here. And I wanted to do something a little different because I know Elliot or JC or Ryan or Lee are going to touch on, you know, Malcolm X, Boys in the Hood. Movies we'd know, but I did want to touch on some movies, some of these films we do know, but some we don't. Number five, I have Dope. So that's actually that's is... Same director. Yes, yeah, I was about to say that. So I, I, I'm going to butcher his name, forgive me. So it's Rick, Rick Famuyawa? I, I guess say Rick Famuyuba. Yeah, Rick Famuyuma. Famuyuma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, Go for it. Ricky! So what I love about Dope so much is that it's like JC calls it's a hood movie, but with a spin because these guys are all like punk rockers that are just like doing their thing to get along to get to Oreo. What do you say, JC? Remember that's the name of their band Oreo because they're black on the outside, but they're white White on the inside. inside. Yeah. (laughs) So it pretty much like it's not about drug dealers. It's about these dorks that are just like i don't want to spoil too much of the movie but it does touch on the culture and living in the hood and just like being despite the fact that you're living in the hood you have different um what's some what's the word i'm looking for they're looking different ideals i guess and i and by the way the i um shamik moore who plays malcolm in the movie is also plays miles morales in into the spider-verse so I think the the movie does a great job of incorporating that feel. And it's a recommendation that I really hold near and dear because it was one of my favorite films of that year. Um, another film that everyone does know that I think incorporates black cinema while moving along a franchise, but does, does it in a way that many, not many expected. And I wanted to recommend Creed. And the, and I think nice. I I think Creed is one of those that is well known and that, but it's not just a movie in a Rocky franchise. It's about the story of someone, of 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 someone that was not that did not have a father growing up and just like being in that culture and be and then having you know I'm not black being Latino being Latino did not have a father figure around me. I I know how that feels. So and I think. Ryan Cooler directs the shit out of this movie because he's able to just make it about Donnie. It's not a Rocky story. It's a Donnie story. And I think that this movie should be looked at as a standalone to how you can incorporate 
a black story within a franchise that has been about an Italian white guy. Um, my number four, my, my number three is also a Ryan Coogler film. And I think uh-huh. I may have, I think I may have stole, no, Fruitvale is actually one of my honorable mentions that I was going to mention after oh, I do yeah. my five through, my five through one here. Um, so Black Panther, guys. Yeah. Is it not the most, one of the most important black films of the 2000s? Do you guys have the century? Do you guys, would you guys agree with me on that? Agreed. Definitely. Yeah, it was a great rifle stuff. In in terms of comic book films, it actually it's black directed, full on black cast, and I think it incorporates the world of Wakanda and 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 the culture so well. And we have one of the best performances by a black actor that I've seen, and that's Michael B. Jordan. So that's what I wanted to touch on there. And then number two is a movie that people know how I feel about the movie that lost this year. But it is a movie that I this Moonlight. Th- yeah, it's Moonlight. So <laughs> I know Dave's good enough. <laughs> so Barry Jenkins came out in Moonlight, and I think it premiered at Telluride back in 2016. And from that moment on, I was like, I wanted to see this film. And when I saw it, I was. I know Leo and I have talked off off uh, off the line about this film, and like I think this movie does a great job of incorporating the hood as jc would call it and then just someone struggle with not just being black or being poor or being being a minority but with their sexuality as well and i think it's a great amazing film and i think it's one that not many outside of like the cinephile oscar uh junkie fans have seen but it's one that i do recommend and number one i know someone else is gonna have it so i'll just touch do the right thing of course. Oh shoot! I was very different on mine. Oh, dude. All right, cool. And it's some honorable mentions that I did want to mention. Straight out of Compton, Boys in the Hood, of course. Spider Man into the Spider Verse, even though it has a white director, just a story of a Latino black Spider Man needs to be talked about. Malcolm X, Dear White People, and Fruitvale Station. And then I will hand it over to Elliot. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great list, man, and uh, definitely I want to with dope, man. I, I love what you brought that up because the reason I connected to dope so much because it is, I, you know, growing up with comic books and all that stuff during that time, it wasn't cool to be a nerd during that, especially black. So uh, I always loved dope, man. But as far as my list goes, yeah, it's, I'm, mine's a little different as well. Uh, starting off with number five, this isn't necessarily my favorite horror film of all time, but I gotta show some love to horror. Uh, it's 1992's uh, Candyman. Nice. Um, it's such an underrated film for me so growing up in chicago uh kind of hits uh you know kind of hits home in regards to just having a home a, a movie based for when you're growing up but tony todd man and his performance and the story of how candy man became to be and and obviously that that tragic story of him being you know falling in love with a white woman and being murdered for that and all that i mean i think it's, it's definitely a film that speaks to the masses but also kind of speaks to the black struggle again growing up in chicago and this the Showing the in the ghetto in the hood and all that stuff. So Candyman is definitely something I've always thought of like an underrated film uh, back in the day. Uh, going to number four, I'm going with 92's Juice. Nice. Uh, oh, nice. My man Tupac and obviously Omar Epps and the whole gang and crew. And that just kind of shows like the evolution of, again, showing a story like Boys in the Hood of showing how people grew, grew up in, you know, in New York and just that brotherhood and that kinship. and But also showing the 
the, 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 the side, the evil side of greed and the evil side of the juice, uh, per se, and, and kind of how brotherhood can be broken up by internal struggles of, uh, going against one another in the, in, in the black community. So definitely juice is definitely up there for me. Uh, I mentioned uh, a comedy that I was first exposed to, to in 1990 house party, but one that always, always represents like a good old, like JC said, a, a hood classic is Friday, man. Yes. Um, yes. F Gary. Gray. Actually, this saw Friday. Oh my goodness. I mean, come on, man. What more can I say about, uh, Craig and what we get with Smokey and just that whole, just today. We're just watching a day in the life of LA Compton. These two guys, Craig got laid off on his day off <laughs> and just all the stuff that comes with that. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, number two for me, uh, you touched on it, uh, David, but Black Panther, man. It's, um, it's a film. I'm sorry, number three. I'm sorry, number three for me is Black Panther, and it is uh, no, no, number two. I'm all thrown off my list. I'm sorry, number two no, is good. Black Panther for me. It, it's something I'll never forget. Uh, seeing that in uh, February 2018, being in the theater, seeing generations of Black people, uh, from little kids to teenagers to you know people of my age and in, in my late 20s to on up, and just seeing the cultural impact that it will forever have on cinema. And what, you know, Ryan Coogler and obviously the, the late great Chadwick Bozeman and, you know, Michael B. Jordan and Lupita Nyong'o and, and just the whole cast and just the 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 importance of what that film is going to mean, not only to Marvel, but again, to, to cinema and the doors that has opened with, you know, the announcement of the Wakanda series and getting other black creators directing each episode of that and spinoffs of that. And just to, again, if I was a kid growing up in 2018, seeing all that black uh, beauty, beautifulness, blackness going on uh, during that time, that's something that would forever change me and did forever change me at my age and I'm at now. So Black Panther will always have a spot for me personally. Uh, and then number one, yeah, it's, it's do the right thing, man. It's my favorite uh, Spike Lee film. Uh, you talk about uh, Judas and Black Messiah regarding uh, the, the relevancy of what was going on in that film and obviously a lot of stuff that went down. It's been going down forever, but in particularly with the heightenedness of social media and, and camera phones, seeing what happened with, you know, George Floyd and, and all the different stuff that we see in the Radio Raheem and just the community there and, and, and the, the, you know, just to, again, this, the story is still relevant. It's still a powerful film. It has incredible performances. It's a, it's a great direction by uh, Spike Lee, and it's one of my favorites, man, and it's uh, number one on my list. Nice. Uh, JC, what do you got? Okay, I went a little different because I knew you guys were going to mention most of these, but like the first one I want to highlight is um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That was does an A24 film. It came out on um, say like 2019. It was actually on Amazon Prime, so if anybody listening that wants to check it out. But basically, it's about this guy that his the the house that his grandfather built like in the 1940s or something was getting like it was gonna get bought by this white people like that and it tackles like on gentrification in San Francisco which is a big thing because even like when um for Denzel's AFI stuff uh, Mark Hodgkin that he was born in Oakland he was talking about how how Denzel's you know like when he came up with Glory like that it was important for people in Oakland which you know Oakland looks different now because gentrification so it's it's like an important stuff how a lot of people that were very important to San Francisco are getting pushed out, which is similar to what was happening where I grew up in. And once the high is like a lot of small mom and pop shops are getting, are getting closed down and everything like that. And you're know, opening Starbucks, Chipotle's, you know, it's like, so like that story like hit me a lot. And then it features, you should, have you seen it, Elliot? The last oh yeah. Man yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, like if, and, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Majors, Majors and, uh, Danny Glover and all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like that. That performance by, by, um, Jonathan Majors was one, was one of my favorites of the year. Like, there's a scene where 
like, because this is Best Friend is the lead, and there's a scene where he's like a one-man play, and he was playing, like, himself, and then his best friend is just, like, such a powerful stuff, and I'm very happy that he's going to be um called the Conqueror and, and, and um, Ant-Man 3 and then everything with Lovecraft. Like, I, I'm glad to see his career blossom the way it is. And the Five um, Bloods. Yes, the Five Bloods. And um, it's funny you mentioned this because my number four is a Spike Lee movie, but not do the right thing because like, you guys are going to bring it up. And I feel like that's some a movie that people tend to know. But like, with his suggestions, I try to go like with very underrated movies. Um, Number four is uh, Mo' Better Blues. Which was a movie that he did about jazz musicians, has Denzel, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, Wesley Snipes, and like, you know, it's like, it's like Spike Lee has always great music with stuff like that. His father was still composing his stuff in this thing, and it's just a great story about the struggles of black, uh, black musicians. And it's like, he had been accused of anti Semitic stuff because the way he portrayed the, the Jewish club owners in the movie. And he said, he was like, he didn't compromise, he wouldn't apologize. Because he was trying to show the struggles of black musicians and how they always get lowballed. And I think most everybody here, I don't know if Brian has, but we've seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and we saw how, you know, Chadwick's character and all these guys were getting blowballed, uh, uh, sorry, blackballed by the, by the people, um, the Jewish guys in the movie. So it's like, it resonates a lot to me that it's, that it's a story that, that happened in the 1920s and it was still happening in the 1990s where black musicians were getting, you know, like screwed over by, by white club owners and not getting their dues. Uh, number three is Crush Groove. That's, um, have you seen it, Dave? I have not. Well, that's basically, it's like, it's like a biopic, but it's not, cause, um, Rick Rubin plays himself, but that's basically about the start of, of Dev Jam. Oh, shit. Which, you know, like, if you tell that to a younger kid, you know, they'll see, like, rabbits from, like, the fat boys, they'll, be, you know, they'll think it's corny and cheesy, but I think it's an important stuff, cause, like, we're Latinos, and then white people that love rap music, and, like, Dev Jam was, like, the really, like one of the first things that really put hip hop on the map, you know, a lot of people didn't take it serious, but we saw like with Run DMC who played themselves in this movie, you know, like they did, um, walk his way with Arrow, Arrowsmith and that just blew him up to another proportion, uh, so, so next level. And, um, number two is B Street, which is another like about like the, it's not, it came out in 84 and it covers the breakdancing like world and, and hip hop and, you know, like that's a very important part of hip hop that people don't tend to remember. Like maybe they're too young to know, but like, like break that. Like I was, I was born in 1992, but I remember like, uh, when I was a little kid, like break that was still a little popular. Like I remember people having the, the whole like cardboard and spinning on their head and all that. And it's just like, like, see, I remember we're all, well, I'm from New York. You guys are from Jersey and then the LA's from Chicago, but. You know, just like seeing like the graffiti train and stuff like that, like everywhere, it just brings back memories. Well, not memories because I never saw it, but just like of a different New York from what I grew up in. And then number one is not really a movie, it's more of a miniseries, but I feel it's probably one of the five most important black products ever, which is Roots. To me, oh. like if you see Roots, there shouldn't be like, granted, 12 Years of Slave is good, but to me, like Roots, like if you see that, then you don't ever need to see another slave movie or miniseries ever in your life. Great, great choices, JC. I'm uh, Leo. What do you got? Uh, okay, yeah. So I think I think all of our lists are pretty uh, a little different. Um, with me, I went uh, just I think movies that that either I found entertaining. Some were just honestly very just like great films made. But my my number five and four are a little sillier. Um, <laughs> my number five is actually The Last Dragon. Um, it's a who's really the master? <laughs> oh, it's well, that's Show up. But yeah, so that's it's a fun 
kung fu a mashup with black cinema and i remember like the first time i heard someone's like asked me oh do you know who bruce leroy is and i was like i was like what what's that and then they just let me the they let me the the dvd and it's like oh my gosh it's like it's what iron fist should have been <laughs> to to find the glow uh, it's it's just fantastic it's hip-hop it's a mashup it's it's a really fun movie um i really really i, I enjoyed it love that uh, choice Right, uh, number four, I actually picked the movie. I don't think this movie aged well, but I remember watching it as a little kid. I really enjoyed it, and I watched it more than once. It was 1993's The Meteor Man. <laughs> with, Robert <laughs> with Robert Townsend. Yeah, like, I, I remember it being like a mild, like just like a really geeky teacher, uh, touching the meteor, getting powers. I mean, obviously, there's no big shock that I gravitated towards, like, a comic book movie that early on but uh but yeah no just just, just it's just heartfelt it's it's unfortunate like there's a message in there too where like it takes a superhero to get rid of gang violence um which is just heartbreaking as it is but it's it's, it's done in a fun quirky way um now on to like the serious stuff <laughs> so no, so number three is not blank man no, number three is not Blank hey, Man. Hey, what's wrong with Blank Man? <laughs> no, so, man. dude, I, I, I definitely had a part where I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick either Blank Man or Meteor Man. Which one am I going with? You got the right one, you man. the first black superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Everyone gives Black Panther and Blade credit. But, well, well, uh, early 90s, we had, <laughs> we had black superheroes. Sound to um, you with yellow hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, my number three is actually Boys in the Hood. Um, I think it's one of those movies, and it's crazy to hear that that like the the facts that that JC threw out earlier. It's like that was his directorial debut, Singleton's debut as a director. He's still the youngest man nominated for an Oscar for directing. Like that's it's a fantastic movie. It's cool to see how like his filmmaking got better as the movie got longer. In like the movie, like you could just tell certain decisions he made. Ricky's death to this day is freaking heartbreaking. Um, and it's funny, Dave, because I kind of like got a little bummed out. I'm like, oh man, I should I should have named him as as part of like our athletes episode. Yeah, uh, true. Like he he would have been like a, an awesome addition to that. Um, and also just shout out to Cuba Gooding Jr. and Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, their performances, I think, in that movie were fantastic. I still I still get like I still get chills in um, the the scene where where um, where Trey gets pulled over, and like um, and you see like the tear yeah, roll down. The racist cop. Like, yeah, like it's it's. It's one of those things that's like it's just a, it's a really it's a really powerful scene and crazy. I completely forgot Regina King was in the freaking movie. Yeah, it's yeah, true. that was her first. That was yeah, her first, first movie. Yeah, like seeing where she has what happened to her career after this. I'm like, oh shoot, Regina King's in this. Um, my number two is a movie that I I just saw recently. I saw it once when I was a little kid, like with my dad, and I just didn't remember anything of it. And I think thanks to Dave, I rewatched it now as an adult, and it's Malcolm X. Um, and Denzel Washington, I, I agree with Dave. I think, I think this was his best performance. Granted, you know, he got the Oscar for Training Day, but just the way that he shows, like, Malcolm Little, Malcolm X's, like, life and just, like, the way he grew into who he ended up becoming, it's a crazy, awesome performance. It's a, it's a fantastically riveting story. Um, it's well told, well directed. Um, I definitely, definitely recommend it. And actually, my number one, I'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned yet. Well, it hasn't mentioned, but my number one is actually Juice. Um, and it's one of those things where, like, it's, again, it's like, it's like a, 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 the guy's, a guy's movie, right? So, like, my buddies recommended it. Uh, we were like, I don't know, we were like, maybe like in, 
like eighth grade or something or early early high school. And um and Tupac just like his performance as Bishop is just one of those like damn man. It's such a really heartbreaking movie, heartbreaking story and how how I can uh how like the, that hunt for power can just consume yeah. you and destroy you. Uh, but yeah, that, those are those are my my five films. Great. And before we move on to Ryan, uh, Elliot JC on the Pac performances, are we a Juice or do you think he's better in Above the Rim? Juice Bishop. Okay, just curious, just curious because I'm a I'm a big Above the Rim fan. That's why. <laughs> no, I know, I know. No, I love Above the Rim, but I will, to yeah. me, like when you think of Pac as an actor, is is Juice or Poetic Justice to me? Oh, same, uh, same for you, Elliot. Yeah, no, I got uh, Juice is my favorite Pac uh, performance, and man, what a what a different film Baby Boy would have been uh, with Pac in the role with yeah. uh, Singleton, man. But I, you know, Tyrese did his thing. But yeah, Pac, man, again, we talked about Fred Hampton earlier, just the life he would have had. Pac, oh, yeah. still here, man. But yeah, it, it's Juice for me. It's my favorite Pac performance. Ryan, what do you got? All right, I got a couple honorable mentions. Uh, my first two are guilty pleasures, like I mentioned earlier. Head of State. I enjoy the hell of that movie. Uh, number eight, Soul Plane. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'm surprised I did. I mean, sorry, um, Dave didn't make a noise. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, oh, I did. Oh, I did. Oh, but I was like, because I know how much you hate Kevin oh, Hart. I, I, oh, God, I hate Kevin Hart. Snoop <laughs> Dogg in that movie was fun. <laughs> um, number seven, uh, other one is Notorious. And also, not a guilty pleasure. Get out. Nice. Uh, number five, Friday. Just awesome flick. Enjoyed from beginning to end. And number four, The Five Bloods. Okay. Such a well done film. Uh, very invested. Um, oh my god, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Black Panther. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. Sorry, I had a brain fart. Chadwick Boseman's performance was excellent. Um, number three, One Night in Miami. Again, just so well done. Uh, probably my favorite uh, representation of Muhammad Ali. And number two, we talked about earlier, Black Panther. Uh, I think it's the best representation of Africa as a whole. It's beautiful. Uh, Killmonger's speech at the end is so impactful. Just such a great representation. And we talked about it earlier again. Judas and the Black Messiah is my number one. Nice. All right, great. So we can just finish off talk, j- talking about some performances to highlight here. So I'm going to kick it off. And um, I completely cheated on my number five that I want to highlight. But this way I can highlight these movies. Uh, I want to say the entire cast of Boys in the Hood and the entire cast of Do the Right Thing. Because Do the Right Thing is it. Like Elliot, Elliot talked on it before. I mean, this, I think this is Spike Lee's best film, and he, I can't believe he lost it. Yeah, drive, driving Miss Daisy. He wasn't even nominated. He wasn't that, even that nominated. Was yeah. Um, and like, and like you mentioned before, the whole we had the George Floyd incident last year, and then Radio Rahim. It was it, it mirrors it on every level. That movie still hits today. Uh, and then the Castle Boys in the Hood. I don't think Cupid Gooding Jr. has ever been better. I don't give a shit that he won for Jerry Maguire. I think this is a yeah, performance. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now to individual performances. Uh, my number four is Sidney Portier for In the Heat of the Night. Uh, so I think this is a seminal performance for Portier. I think it's his best 
of his career because even though he didn't win the Oscar for this one, I don't think yeah. I think he embodies a character that solidified his charisma and his presence on screen, and he also set the tone with a defiance to succumb to oppression. And I think and that line is great about Mr. Tibbs. Can you can you say it, JC? Can you do it? No, you say, you come on, you do it. No, I don't. I, I can't do a Sydney Portier voice. I, I um, can't even do one either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number three, I kind of touched on it before. It's Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther. Um, I just, I think he's out. I would say he's the first because we all. I think we defaulted to Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the villain of villains until we got to Michael B. Jordan because Killmonger had a reason for his quote unquote madness, and that's one of quote-unquote villain works the best and he's not i don't even consider him a villain he has a he has he's right in everything that he says and mike and michael b jordan takes that performance and brings it to like an 11 it's incredible work i'm kind of upset that with all the oscar love black panther got that year he didn't get a supporting actor nomination uh number two um i'm still i've been trying to get my wife to watch this movie since we've been together for the last seven years uh, and that's Lupita Nyong'o in Twelve Years a Slave. Well, that's a hard movie to watch. So I know. It, it, I think it's a hard movie for that scene. That scene is tough. So the, yeah. But her performance is complex, and the fact this is her first film, and she she gets uh, the character's name is Patsy. It's brutal. She gives the character dignity, intelligence, and the final scene with uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. It's very, very moving. So that's my number two. And my number one, JC, I know you'll be proud. Denzel, Malcolm X. I mean, it, I mean, what can be said? It's oh, the Oscar he should have had, but the Oscars fucked up with Pacino way too long. And unfortunately, he didn't get the Oscar for Malcolm X. But Leo touched on it, and I'm sure one of you guys will touch on it too. His performance is incredible because I think he plays three roles. Each yeah, hour he's playing stages. some yeah, he's playing three stages of Malcolm and I think only someone like Denzel, as great as Denzel, could have done that. So yeah, Malcolm X is my number one. Uh Ryan, I'll actually give it up to you to start this one. Alright, All right, my number Chris Rock and head of state. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is technically a kind of a comedy. Uh number five is Dolomite, Eddie Murphy. Nice, that's a good one. I just enjoyed it. Uh, I thought his performance was excellent. Number four, uh, David touched on it earlier, Adonis Johnson and Michael B. Jordan. Nice. Uh, yeah, just his uh, rise and just from beginning to the end of the movie. Yeah. Next, uh, Cynthia. Arrivo. Sorry, I'm going. Arrivo. 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 Yeah, Harriet. I wasn't a fan of the movie, but her performance got me. Like when she, uh, when she goes back and see, I don't want to spoil anything, and she's what she see, finds out what she finds out. Um, like I'm like, oh damn, like I am. She gets me invested. And my number one, Will Smith. I forget the main character's name in Pursuit of Happiness. Nice, Chris Gardner. Chris, Chris Gardner. Thank you. Um, just his struggle. Such a good movie, and he just kills it. Nice, Leah. What do you got? My number five is actually Michael B. Jordan as well, but I went with Fruitvale Station. That's a hard uh, one. Now, that's a hard movie to watch, JC, as good uh, as it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I watched this like pretty. Yeah, I watched this like pretty. I think maybe like uh, last year during everything, everything when everything started off, and like just just to kind of like educate myself and try to learn more about like the film and then like the back history of the film. But uh, Michael B. Jordan as Oscar Grant was awesome. It was fantastic. It was it was it was a very very um, mature performance for a young actor. Um, I, just seeing his, uh, it, it felt very Denzel-y. <laughs> In the way that Denzel was able to do Malcolm X, just mixing that that hard minority man type thing that you're supposed to uh, uh, you're supposed to be, right? And then honestly, just all, some some moments of the sensitivity and and just and warmness. But um, yeah, Michael B. Jordan's performance in Bluefield Station I thought was great. The direction was fantastic too. But that's where I picked him. Um, I, I put actually I also went with Lupita Nyong'o, but I went with her performance in Us. Yes, um, yes, that's a great one. Great one, Leo. Yeah, so one exactly. So it's funny. It, it, I, I've always thought that. Like, I always thought that it was one of those things. Like with um, with Mark Ruffalo being nominated for his role recently in that with that dual the dual role. Yeah, um, I know like, as much as true. Yeah, it's one of those things where like Lupita Nyong'o played two different characters in that film, and each of them was just riveting. Like you wanted to know more about what Red. You wanted to know, and then when you found out the twist, it's like. Ah, oh, and just that what that 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 close up scene with the tear coming down is just like incredible work. But uh, but I also yeah, I think after I saw the movie, I'm like this has to win the Oscar. And then I think that came on really really early into that season. So like little by little, it started getting like pushed to the back of the list, back to the list. Unfortunately, I it didn't win anything. But I'm, I I'll to- never Leo. I started to cut you off. I'll never forget leaving that theater, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna do it again, like. Yeah. Like, he's gonna do it again. He's gonna get his pic- his picture nominated for best picture. And I thought Lupita was a sure thing because, right? and the reason I had that confidence was because Get Out came came out in February as well. Hey, so yeah, this came on March. It was like it was like Harry. He was already Oscar winner. So yeah. So I'm I like, figured yes. it would be it, especially Lupita. And then exactly. And then we got, and we got. Go yeah, ahead. No, no. I meant to say when you were talking about Fruitvale Station. Literally for like five months after that movie came out, I, I I constantly had to say bruh because Michael B. Jordan said bruh like a hundred times <laughs> in that movie, and every time I would talk, I'm like, bruh. I was like, man, freaking Oscar Grant. I'm like, this is something I just there came to my head that I used to say a lot back because of that movie. <laughs> and was and what was your number one? Oh, oh, so yeah, so then my number uh, three, I actually I went with the films that I actually listed as part of my movies. Gotcha. So Cuba Jr. and Lawrence Fishburne, I think, in Boys in the Hood. Um, I think Lawrence Fishburne's performance is like underrated as far as how really like he really gave like a, a solid pinnacle pillar of like adultness in that movie where he kind of gave off like this like and, and it's funny because the role he plays is like such a like uh, it's it's not a not a very common role for any minority being Latino or black but like a father that actually cares and that's like and I think that Lawrence Fishburne's a fantastic in it trying to give as much advice as he as he could, um, and then and that one scene where he educates about um, gen- uh, gentrification. Yes, love that that, it stood with me. Like it stayed with me. Like as a as a young man watching the movie, I'm like, oh damn! Like there's so much more. <laughs> um, and my number two was Denzel and Malcolm X. Pretty much just exactly what I mentioned earlier, and what you guys all like uh, uh, agreed with. Like it's just it's a very full performance and fantastic that the film was able to give it so much time. Um, but uh, I still my number one is still Tupac. Tupac <laughs> has Bishop. Tupac Good has stuff. Bishop. Good stuff. Yeah, 
it's just it was just one of those things where it's like you 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 glorify these things of being hard and being hood and like just being on top of your game and then Tupac gave it that like that tragedy of like what happens when you're obsessed with that kind of lifestyle and what can happen to you and I just thought like yeah for me it was just one of those like growing up and trying to be like that that type of person um it just stuck with me too nice JC what do you got uh number five I have Forrest Whitaker and Ghost Dog because when it comes to like mafia movies, or just like we never really see the mafia have a black hitman, and in that movie, you know, Forrest plays the hitman for a mafia, so I thought it was cool. And then he's also like his philosophy is very much in like in the court of the samurai, and you know, like I so said, we also never had a black samurai. Like I feel that's his best performance. I know you bought the, the, the criteria, criteria, but it's like it's like really like you're into crime stuff, so I, I think you're gonna dig it. Like Jim Jarmusch is not a director for everybody but this is probably his most accessible movie and it's like a very great a very detailed and very like complex performance from Forrest Whitaker that I, not many people tend to know uh, number four same as you guys have mentioned and Lawrence Prinsberg and Boys in the Hood Leo nailed everything in the head is like most time when you see like hood movies it tends to be that the father besides him and Pops and Friday you never really see like in hood movies the like the the main, the leads have like a father that the father's either very abusive or absent. Yeah. So the fact that you have a a black father in this movie is just like like Leo's identification speech, and it's like he's a father that wants better for his son. Like yeah, he had Trey at a young age, but he doesn't want that for his son. Like when he was when when they had the whole conversation about rubbers and about sex, <laughs> yeah. like that's like a great conversation. It's like and it, was, it was like a great portrayal. Like. The fact that Boys in the Hood got not for a screenplay and director, I felt like if anybody should have gotten nominated for acting, it should have been Lawrence Fishburne because the fact that Jack Pan is one for City Sleep is a book, but Lawrence Fishburne wasn't even nominated to me. I think it's a slap in the face to that movie a bit. Uh, number three is um, Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. Like, to me, I, I thought you were probably... JC. I thought you were gonna say Ghost, and I was gonna hang up. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> nah, this is like you know because that movie is like. Quincy Jones produces like a whole black cast and everything like that. It was like not for eleven Oscars. Was, I mean, granted, they didn't win nothing, which is crazy because that should have won supporting actors for Oprah and and, and Whoopi for this. Like to me, I think is the greatest performance from a comedian in a series role, and then it's one of the greatest debut performances of all time. To me, it's like very heartbreaking. The movie's about twelve and twenty minutes, but she carries it like. She should have been the first black actress to win, but the first black actress to win, but lead supporting, lead performance, which transitions to me to another woman that should have won the Oscar for best actress, but didn't, which was Angela Bassett and what's love got to do with it. She played Tina Turner. Like she embodies that character. Like when I, some, like granted, I know I've seen her Mad Max beyond Thunderdome and everything, but when I, when I hear Tina Turner track, I, I, I see Angela Bassett, like, like Tina Turner, I don't know if you, but like she's like a ripped woman and like Angela Bassett got very fit for that role and everything and the view she takes from Lawrence Frisbee who plays Black Turner you know a lot of us know the story about how he was very abusive to her and just seeing those scenes like play out and just like how how, how Angela Bassett like acting in those scenes like really really well it was like the fact that she lost to the piano which I know David hates yeah I hate the piano and it's like Branson is a great like it's a really good performance and she she's a mute, so like respect to her for being able to be as strong as she was, but to me this she doesn't top that that mag, like that magnitude that that um, imagine a brass and brought to the role and then number one, you know me very well, Dave, so you know what's gonna be Denzel Malcolm X. 
I know Pacino got screwed over so many times, but Denzel in that movie is just, is probably one of my ten favorite performances of all time, regardless of race, gender, and anything like that. And it's just like, this is a movie that's three hours and 20 minutes. It's like they said he plays them in three different stages before he found Islam, after, and then when he left. And it's just similar to my, like what we talk about Fred Hampton, about Martin Luther King. It's like, this is another, like, important figure that we lost out on so many years. And then just Denzel brought it to life. That's all I got. Nice. And then, Elliot, take us home. What do you got? Yeah, no, those are some, some awesome performances that you all gave. And, uh, yeah, man, as far as my performances go, starting with number five is actually uh, something that JC just touched on. That's Angela Bassett and What's Love's Got to Do With It, man. She got I me. Mean, you said it perfectly. She is just <laughs> – she embodies that character and uh just a great performance. Uh number four for me, I'm gonna go with something recent, and that's Daniel Kalua as Fred Hampton, man. I, again, I wish that we would have gotten a, uh, a little bit more of the backstory and maybe want to see just a Daniel Kalua film itself after watching yeah, that. that would it was incredible, man. Uh number four or number three comes to uh he's gonna be on this list twice, but uh this one here is Denzel Washington in training day. As uh um I'm a man, Alonzo, man, uh, King Kong, oh, man, he ain't got nothing on Giselle in that film, man, he killed it. Uh, number two, uh, I'm gonna give it to, uh, kinda split it. I'm gonna give it to one being Chiotel Edrio 4 and 12 Years Slave, but like you guys, like you had mentioned earlier, Dave, uh, Lupita Nuango, she was, uh, again, her first film, uh, you felt for the character, you, it, it brought me to tears, and again, those two, you know, carried, which was a, a really good film by, uh, Stephen McQueen, but those two performances, and particularly Lupita Nuango was great, uh, and that brings me to my number one, uh, which is, uh, my second favorite, uh, Spike Lee film, but my favorite Denzel Washington performance, which is, uh, Malcolm X, uh, 1992's Malcolm X, man. You guys already touched on it, the, the three different, uh, portrayals and, and what he brought to the role and, and the gravitas of the role. And it's just, again, it's just why he is my favorite actor of all time and his best performance in my eyes. So yeah, Denzel is Malcolm X. Great. Uh, so th- guys, this wraps everything up. This is great. Great job, great choices, great recommendations. Uh, for all the listeners out there, please take a look at these films. Please take a look at these performances. They are warranted and they deserve to be seen. Especially head of state. <laughs> or Meteor <laughs> Man. Meteor Man, Meteor Man. If you're going to pick any of these movies, Meteor Man should be I'm surprised. Head of state. You should have mentioned Pootie Tang. <laughs> gridlock <laughs> man gridlock I'm a little bummed out that we only said Pootie Tang like once in this episode <laughs> like the whole bell stuff is amazing stuff like shit that's a great power yeah but no I, I want to give special thanks to Elliot JC for coming on on this week's episode Ryan Elliot as always thank you and next week we are doing a reel it back and you will find out what movie that is this coming week. Until then, see you at the movies, kids.